Good morning. Well, you're looking at the screen and, and you're seeing Child Youth Protection Policy, First Mennonite Church. And inwardly, you might be groaning, thinking a sermon on policy and procedure. <laughs> no, uh, that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about safety and peace and how we can establish that for children and youth here at First Mennonite. Because the policy and procedure that we wrote is all about safety and peace. Uh, it's all about figuring out how can we give, provide safety and peace for um, the children and youth that attend this church. And that flows from, from our identity as Christians. Um, it flows from the ways in which we, we do this thing called um, the body of Christ and how we support each other. And my head has grown, I think, <laughs> because this is not staying on. So join me for a word of prayer, please. Lord God, thank you for, for being you, for calling us to be your body. And I pray that you would open our, our hearts and our ears uh, as, we, uh, as we ponder the scripture and ask how can we establish safety and peace for the children and youth here. In your name, amen. So a few weeks ago, uh, Easter Sunday, um, I was helping with communion. And uh, I went downstairs and offered communion to the people who were providing um, care. And I was struck by the sense of safety and peace that was present. And I, I didn't just offer communion. Um, I watched as these kids were, 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 were being there um, and how safe they felt and, and just how, how wonderful it was to be there in that moment. The work I do is with, with people that have a history of deep woundedness because of childhood abuse primarily. And, and I rarely get to interact with, with people that don't have that history. And it was so wonderful to be there. I was only there for like two minutes. But it was absolutely fantastic. It struck me um, how, how safe the kids were. And not just there. Um, as I watched Thatcher this morning uh, coming up and, and standing right here, how safe it was for him to come up here and nobody's going to say, get that kid off the stage. <laughs> because, because this is who we are. Um, we provide safety and peace. Um, and, and that is so, so wonderful. Then the other place that I see that is Lighthouse. Uh, and as, I, as I've watched Kelly and Darren do their work um, and interact with, with uh, the children and youth that are there, I am just struck uh, by that sense of safety and of peace. I've, I've had the opportunity to do a fair amount of work with, with Lighthouse over the years. And, and, and safety and peace has always been there. Uh, and it's been there not just because of, of Darren and Kelly and all the staff, but because they manifest the presence of Jesus. Um, they bring to, uh, to that setting the safety and the peace of Jesus. 
And, and as I think about um, the, this idea of, of a child youth protection policy and the reasons we have to have that, um, I am so thankful to have the opportunity to have that, that history in our church of providing safety and peace to the children and youth here at our church. So the question is, what's the recipe? Um, how, how can we create that sense of safety and of peace? And it comes, in my mind, from that passage Cher read in 1 Thessalonians. Um, where, where, where Paul says, Now we ask you, sisters and brothers, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. And, and I want to stop right there and think to myself that right now we're focusing on the people who provide the, the work um, for the children and the youth of our church, who work hard among us, who care for us in the Lord, and sometimes admonish us. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do that which is good for each other and for everyone else. Uh, that's, that's just a really powerful passage for me. Yeah. It, it, it is, for me, the recipe of how we can establish that sense of safety and of peace for not just each other, but for the children and youth here in the church. And I want to hone in on, on one of the middle sections there, live in peace with each other. Now, when we hear that word peace in English, um, we think of, hey, peace, man. Um, we think of the absence of war. Uh, but, but that word peace is so much deeper biblically. That sense of shalom. Um, now, remember the story of Joseph, how Joseph was sold into slavery and, and he, he went to Egypt for all those years. When his brothers finally came to him, uh, he said, how is my father? Is he shalom? Is he well? And the answer was, yes, your father is shalom. And we are shalom. That sense of shalom is way deeper than peace. It's not the absence of something. The absence of war and conflict. It's the presence of something. It's the presence of God's love. It's the presence of God's redemption which in the Old Testament is manifested by the law and the prophets, and in the New Testament, manifested by the person of Jesus. And for 1 Thessalonians to really come to life, we have to have that relationship with Jesus, because it isn't just those words. It isn't just that structure, because I can get that in any secular setting. I can, I can take those words and I can change them around um, and I don't ever have to use the word God and I can say this is how we do it here in our organization. But see, this is the church. This is the body of Christ. And those words are given deeper meaning, deeper power by the shalom, uh, by the, the active presence of the risen Jesus. That's who we are. That's how, 
how we can provide that sense of safety and of peace. Now, when I think about that, and I think about examples of that, um, this is my favorite picture about peace, you know, about shalom, about wellness. It was taken by a photographer in Lima, Peru, uh, Sebastian Leon uh, Prado. And as I look at this picture, I am just struck by so many things. First, um, just, just <laughs> the, the, the relationship between, I assume, son and father. Uh, and and, and, and the, the way in which I, everything about that just screams at me um, that this is what the father's love looks like for me when I think about Father God, um, that, that there's, there's, just, there's just holiness in that picture. It is a wonderful, wonderful picture. And then when you look deeper, you say to yourself, oh, that wall seen better days. And his shoes have seen better days. And that ball has seen better days. But none of that matters because of the relational safety that's present between father and son. And that sense of relational safety comes because there is um, safety there. No matter what that boy does, he can never lose his father's love. Nothing can separate that boy from the love of his father. Now, that's really powerful for me because that's what Paul says in Romans, that there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God. And we have that sense of relational safety in our lives because relational safety is the most important sense of safety that we can have. When you read regulations, secular regulations, about safety and you go to the Occupational Safety Health Administration, it's all about physical safety. It's all about the environment. Very little about relational safety, but the fact of the matter is this. For those of you that have worked and are working, you've had jobs where you had coworkers, supervisors who had your back, who had a sense of strong relational safety. And in those settings, your ability to handle stress, your threshold for stress was quite high. And if you were in settings where you had the opposite, um, co-workers who didn't treat you well, a supervisor who didn't treat you well, then your ability to handle stress is diminished because relational safety empowers us to go out into the world and do our work. Now, in, in mental health, uh, in, in, in healthcare, um, that's a real issue. Uh, uh, the, the, I, I just read an article yesterday uh, on what's called moral injury uh, and the impact of moral injury on healthcare workers and healthcare outcomes. Uh, and it, it's, it's horrible. Um, and that sense of moral injury comes from the woundedness that occurs in relational interactions that are the opposite of what we've talked about here. And here in our church, 
if we want to make sure that we can pass that sense of relational safety on to the children and youth, if we, can, if we want to provide them with that, we have to have that ourselves. And that's why First Thessalonians is so important. Because if we don't have those relationships of trust and respect and love for each other, then we can't give to the children what we want to give them. It just isn't going to work. You can only give what you have in abundance. So if you want to give a sense of safety to other people, you have to have more safety in you than you need. You can't give what you don't have is the negative way of putting that. You can only give what you have in abundance. And so in our relationships with each other, we want to just have that abundance there. Have that overflowing. That as we, in the life of our church, interact with each other, we go back to 1 Thessalonians and make sure that we acknowledge those who work hard among us. We make sure that we live in peace with each other. We make sure that we encourage the disheartened. We help the weak. We are patient with everyone. We make sure that nobody, starting with me, pays back wrong for wrong and will always strive to do that which is good for each other and for everyone else. Wow. When you break that down and you look at that and you operationalize that, there's real power there. In that kind of setting where the adults treat each other with this way, the children are going to feel wonderful. In family therapy, um, there's a saying that um, if you want to really um, provide safety and love to the children in the family, the adults in the relationship have to have that with each other. It starts in, in the parental relationship with each other and then flows down. The same is true in interpersonal dynamics. It starts with us and then it flows down. So as, as we think about this, this, this child youth protection policy, it has to be more than a policy that sits in a book uh, and it says, this is what we do. And if it ever happens, you know, no, it's got to be alive. And it comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So once we have that, we now engage in behavioral choices that set boundaries. Every healthy relationship has boundaries. And those boundaries look different for different people in different settings. Uh, but boundaries create that sense of safety. Because when we know what our boundaries are, um, then we can operate within those boundaries and provide that sense of safety to other people. And you're thinking to yourself, why does he have a picture of Keanu Reeves? You know, like you know that I like, you know, The Matrix and... and uh, I'm a Mennonite, but I like John Wick movies. <laughs> um, but the reason that, that his picture is up there is that when he is with his fans and they want to take a picture of him, he stands with his hands and arms like this. He never 
puts his arm around another woman. He never touches another woman. Um, he doesn't want to use his power, his fame, um, to reach out and hold someone and hold them close. And you know all the stuff about Hollywood glitz and everything like that. You read. Um, he's the opposite. Um, he wants to make sure that in his relational boundaries, people always feel safe when they're with him. And, and I've, I've read enough about him to know that, that that's, that's real, okay? Um, oh, that's so powerful. Yeah. I try and do that same thing in, in my work. Uh, and I have some pretty strong boundaries um, about um, how I use my presence and, you know, where these hands are going to be if I'm, if I'm touching someone. And as you were putting the mic on me this morning, Sean, you said, is it okay if I touch you? That is so, so powerful. Because, see, I have the power to decide who's going to touch me. And Sean recognized that and asked if it was okay. Um, now, the policy, and, and the policies, we'll talk about that later, but it has some, some, some specific things, specific things in there about boundaries. Um, about um, only two or, two, th two or three adults will be with children, never one-to-one, -one, okay? And that's one of the boundaries that we're going to have present within these relationships. And they're there because of the presence of predators in our world. Um, there are predators. There are people who look for places like this and then come in and, um, and they try to abuse. Um, I know that uh, because of the work I do. Um, I've encountered predators many, many times. And some of the training I do is, is with organizations on how to protect themselves against predators, how to recognize predators. And you'll be going through some of that training later on as we roll out um, this policy. There was a, an article that was just published about three months ago um, that said that um, in churches, specifically Protestant churches, 44% of people who attend have histories of child sexual abuse. Uh, now, that number is three and a half times the national rate. Uh, so th there's, a, there's a, a whole big, long study that, that looked at, at the, the topic of abuse. And 44% and is significantly higher than the national standard. But when you look at healthcare, when you look at social work and psychology and counseling, the number of social workers and counselors and therapists who have histories of trauma themselves before they ever came in is about three times higher than the national average. And the reason for that is that people with woundedness seek out places of healing and hope. And that's, that's what I hope we are, um, is a place where the wounded can come for healing. Knowing that, uh, it's even more important that we go back to that list in 1 Thessalonians 5 and say, this is how we're going to operate within our body. This is how we're going to live our lives as Christians. Because we want to create boundaries that provide safety to us. 
And that safety is necessary because of the presence of predators. Sometimes you may need to be the boundary. Sometimes you, in your interpersonal relationships with someone else, may need to be that boundary. One of my favorite movies is Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And this is the scene from uh, the first movie called The Fellowship of the Ring. And in this scene, you have the Balrog. The Balrog is an ancient evil creature filled with fire. And, and he's chasing uh, the Fellowship of the Ring through the mines of Moria to the bridge at Khazad-dûm. And Gandalf, um, the wizard, uh, he gets everyone across, and then he turns to the Balrog, and he, he takes his sword, and he takes his staff, and he says, I am the servant of the secret fire, keeper of the flame of Aran. You cannot pass. Go back to the shadows, flame of Uden, which is really a derogatory name. And... <laughs> And, and the Balrog whips Gandalf, and Gandalf gets his magic out there, and he creates this dome, and he doesn't get whipped. And then he takes his sword, he takes his staff, and he puts it in the bridge, and he says, You shall not pass. Remember that scene? <laughs> Those of you that have watched the movie, <laughs> I love these movies. <laughs> so Gandalf keeps the people safe. Okay? And sometimes, some of you may be called upon to be Gandalf, to confront a specific person who is engaging in behavior that, that manifests woundedness. And in that setting, you need to be strong enough in your faith, strong enough in your identity to say, no, you will not pass. Now, when I, when I do management training, I tell managers that their responsibility is to keep evil away from the people that they're working with. And I ask people in secular settings, is there evil in our world? And, and for almost 30 years now, the answer in every class I've taught has been yes. There is evil in our world. Because our fight is not against the things of this world, but against the powers and the principalities. And we need to understand that and recognize that so that we stay within our identity as Christians. And we operate within the body of Christ. And we always stay true to who we are and who we have called to be. So how do we build the kinds of boundaries that keep the Balrogs of this world out of our church? Well, one way is through physical environments. And the environmental factors that flow into that have been looked at by several of our commissions. And there's a church work day on May 20th that hopefully is going to take care of all of those things. So that there'll be windows in all doors. Uh, there won't be any hidden spaces because abuse takes place in the dark. Abuse takes place in places where you cannot see. And so we're going to take all that away. <laughs> so we're going to create environments um, that, that lead to that sense of safety. So, so that's an important part. But we also need to go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. 
and acknowledge those who work hard among us. Live in peace with each other. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong. Always strive to do that which is good for each other and for everyone else. And now I've added one more, uh, one more section of the verse that I didn't talk about earlier. And that is, warn those who are idle but really are disruptive. <laughs> okay? That's the word that I want to hone in on. Because if you take a little thing and you say, well, you know, it's a little thing. Yeah, it's not the way that we should do things, but I'll ignore it. When you ignore something, you reinforce it. That's a, that's a true behavior principle. That when you ignore something that shouldn't be, you reinforce it. And then it becomes easier to ignore it again and again and again. And so it's the little things that need to be addressed. It's the little things that when, when your gut says, ah, it doesn't feel right, listen to your gut. The largest collection of neurons in your body is up here, okay? But the second largest is right down here. It's your gut. John Gardner wrote a book called The Second Brain. I've got a really big second brain. <laughs> and, and, and we just need to, we need to listen to our gut. We need to listen um, to that little voice that says, something isn't right. Okay? Listen to that voice. And then be Gandalf. Okay? Be strong enough in your faith and your identity to say, you shall not pass. You don't need to be that obvious about it. But you need to say no. You need to change that behavior. Address it when it's a little thing. We need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I've always been fascinated that even in this new creation that Jesus is bringing forth, the serpent now has a positive role to play. Be wise as serpents and be innocent, or other, other passages that say harmless, as doves. Okay? We need, to, we need to keep our awareness there. Uh, we need to make sure that we are looking at everything. We need to make sure that we follow um, our hearts and our guts. Um, and listen to that little voice that says, something isn't right. Um, let's address this. And in doing this, we create that sense of safety and of peace for the children and youth at First Mennonite. Amen.